0: L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com, and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash newsadfree. To this new and exciting podcast totally devoted to the royal families around the world. My name is George the Curl, the Kerl if you're Flemish, the Kerl if you're French, and together with Linnea Wolfson, we will take you behind the scenes and talk to guests who will hopefully share with us some of the secrets of the royal families.
3: George, it's it's really good being with you here at the, um, the Acast Studio in London. Uh, but before we dive into the world of, of the royalties, I want us to introduce ourselves and give the listeners a chance to get to know uh, to get to know us a little bit better. Um, George, you were born in Belgium and you also hold a French passport, so clearly stand with um, two legs in the European Union, no matter what happens here in the UK. Um, as icing on the cake, you also seem to know Evitsar and Dvorianstvo of Russia. Did I pronounce that correctly?
2: Not really, but it doesn't matter.
3: <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> to start with, tell me about your career as a photographer and, and how it all started.
2: Well, um I, started my, I was born and raised in Belgium and decided early on, given my academic uh, successes, that I should aim for a profession that didn't require going to school. And I found one, which was press photography. <laughs> At the time, press photography was taking place in Paris for the main part. And I decided to make my way to Paris, where I started actually not as a press photographer. I had hoped to start as a press photographer, but I started as a dispatch writer. Mm-hmm. So I started for the French agency called CIPA Press, you know, taking pictures here and there to various magazines and newspapers.
3: And you had a dark room at that time, didn't you?
2: And I was also working in the dark room. Mm-hmm. I was actually doing anything that I could put my hands on, having read somewhere that actually the best way to become a press photographer was to wake your way up mm-hmm. once you were inside a company. So I very quickly... Realized that um, royals were interesting because they were, um, you know, quite predictable in a way. They could follow a schedule. They were doing the same thing at the same time every year, and um, also they were very popular. Around the world, that a lot of people talked about them, dreamed about them, were excited about what they were doing, uh, took him as role models. So I very early on decided that royal photography should be a focus of mine.
3: So, did you go on any of the um, any of the trips? So, to start with.
2: Well, funny enough, it's true that in the very very early uh, late seventies, I covered. Uh, with a colleague of mine, uh, the first, my first royal visit, which was the king and queen of Spain to Holland. Uh, I had sort of um, you know, realized that uh, they were embarking on a royal visit and uh, not being far from Paris, it was an easy one to start uh, to start with. And so we drove uh, to Holland um, with, with, I can't remember whether we were properly credentialed, probably not, but at the time it didn't really matter. And I started to cover uh, these walkabouts that the Queen and Queen of Spain had uh, actually were had pioneered. Um, um, everybody says that were, they were these walkabouts were pioneered in in the UK by the royal, the British royal family. But I think the the Spain the Spaniards were mm. quite early on doing walkies mm. to meet their subjects from Paris. I moved to the UK, having more or less specialised on the royals, and. Uh, you know beginning of the 80s if people remember there were the days the diner days lady Di, or lady d for the french um was you know still uh, a young um uh, a young girl living colin court of old brompton road and uh, she had been rumored um in the media Um, being a very close friend of Prince Charles so obviously media frenzy and um, that generated a lot of interest and at the time um, the agency that I was working for said well instead of going back and forth to the UK why don't you just go and live there Hmm. so I thought yeah why not Um, and I moved to London uh, after having been uh, a few times in the UK photographing uh, Lady D at the Royal Week of Ascot I moved to London permanently in 1982
3: Right. So, so taking it from there, so you're now in London, um, covering Diana primarily. She was big business at that time, wasn't she?
2: She was generating a lot of interest. Uh, I don't know if I would call it business. But obviously, yes, one has to make a living. So it just meant that you could sort of uh, sell the photographs mm-hmm. everywhere.
3: Tell me about your first experience with the, with the British royal family. So you're now over in Britain. And, and how was it here?:
2: Well let, let's rewind a little bit. I okay. was not yet in Britain, mm-hmm. but I had decided, and my, uh, edit, uh, my redacteur en chef, my editor, mm-hmm. had decided to send me. And one of the reasons was that apart from being an amazing photographer, I could speak English, which was something pretty rare at the time in, in, in France, that most of them do not speak English and so are quite handicapped when they come and travel to the UK. So my uh, one of my first uh, job was to attend and to photograph the Royal Week at Ascot. And at the time, um, obviously having decided uh, to make my way to uh, Ascot uh, late, I probably missed the deadline for the accreditations. And, and, but not deterred, I decided that, you know, just go in with uh, the public. And I sort of bragged my way in The royal enclosure, um, and the guy, that naively the guy at the gate, thought that I was going to make my way across the royal enclosure and go where the media was. But uh, halfway across the media enclosure, the royal enclosure, sorry, uh, I saw all these sort of uh, people in top hats and beautiful, and women beautiful, beautiful attire, sort of lining up waiting for the royal procession, and I saw my colleagues. Uh, they were not my colleagues yet at the time, but the press photographers high up on the balcony. And I thought, well, that's not a very good angle. Mm -hmm. You know, I might as well just stay here. And it doesn't seem to be anyone here with me (laughs) apart from the public. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, you know, uh, realizing probably that it was not exactly the place where I should be. Um, But uh, as the cortege arrived, uh, raised my cameras and started photographing away. Immediately, obviously, the security jumped on us, me and my French colleague, and told us that we were not supposed to be here. And we just got ourselves parked up on the balcony for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. But so that was my first uh, encounter with British security.
3: And did it, did you already have the shots when this happened? Yeah, you, of course, it's after. So, I
2: mean, in the end, we didn't really care too much, but we just apologized because I realized that in the UK, you had to apologize all the time <laughs> and, um, and, and, and said that we would not do it again. Mm-hmm. And actually, we never did it again.
3: There and, is nothing better than working with, with photographers who do exactly that. Think out of the box, give it a try. I just love that. You always get so much better pictures when you... You know, when you when you think slightly differently,
2: uh, or, or... I, I think the British photographers were also what the british photographers at the time were very good at it was to organize themselves and to get a consensus among them Mm. to um you know keep the distance while the french photographers are a lot wilder and so you work very close to the people you photograph and always ends up in a bomb fight whilst in the uk it's actually a much more civilized it's a bit like driving in london people sort of stop at the red light or let you cross the road in france they will try to (laughs)
3: with you, <laughs> and get away to, with it. Try to jump in. but it's it's it, it reminds me that it's also the same with the the royal Rota, which I know doesn't work the same in Scandinavia. I love the royal Rota where where the agencies all take turn in photographing. Mm. Whilst in in many of the Scandinavian countries. It's one single agency that gets most of the material. I, I, I think that's a really good system here in the UK.
2: Well, I guess we could go into details uh, in following podcast mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. how the roll rota works.
3: Definitely. But it
2: is true that um, England has, but it's down to the character of the Brits that you know they love to queue, they organise themselves, it, even when. It, it's bad. I'm sure that during the blitz in the war people were queuing to get into the shelters. Um and I'm not sure that it would have happened uh, mm. in France.
3: So you were here obviously during um Diana and Charles's wedding. You were also here during the Lindo uh, Wings, you know, waiting for William and and Harry to be born. So tell us about the early years of
2: Well, the royal wedding um of Prince and Princess of Wales. I hadn't moved to London yet. Uh, but um we traveled with many colleagues and organized this um, very seriously. Our coverage where, where would I go? Where would they go? Uh, how would we ship our films? How would we? Because obviously, the whole world was waiting for these photos. These photos, the, the photos were supposed to be either outside of St. Paul's after they had been married or on the balcony of Buckingham Palace. We didn't really know. And so that by experience, you knew that uh, at a wedding you have a kiss, and the kiss was gonna be the most photographed kiss in the world. Mm-hmm. So my job was, because obviously being from a French agency we didn't have all the access, was to stand in a crowd for about 48 hours um, without breaks um, in front of Paul's. And I had a very nice position in the crowd, front row, by the fence, taking that position. And, um, you know, like uh, the countdown, they arrive, they they go into St. Paul's, they leave St. Paul's. And as they left St. Paul's and they were about to stand on top of the steps of St. Paul's, the royal carriage taking them back to Buckingham Palace arrives. And... The first carriage is open, and they had as a safety a covered carriage, just in case it rained. It didn't rain, but the carriage was still there. And being a closed carriage, the coachman, the guy who drives the coach, was sitting high up. And as the coach stops in front of St. Paul's, not the open carriage, Mm -hmm. but the one behind it, the coach is right in the door. Is just I can't photograph. So it's
3: blocking you? It was
2: completely blocking me. So (laughs) after after 48 48
3: hours
2: (laughs) waiting, surrounded by people that were not actually welcoming because they thought I was going to move or I was going to get in their way, the moment comes where maybe, and thank God the kiss didn't take place there, um, I I find myself with uh, with no view. So I, I wouldn't say in tears, but very, very disappointed huge crowds. I make my way to Buckingham Palace. I get to all my colleagues um, who were standing on QVM and they were all you know rejoicing because you know the prince and princess had appeared on the balcony and had kissed Mm -hmm. and most of them apart from one I think I won't name him because he still remembers probably uh, but had got the kiss and I had got nothing. Basically Mm -hmm. I had you know I had come all the way stood in front of St. Paul's 48 hours and got nothing. So we wait, 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 wait. And later in the afternoon, the Prince and Princess of Wales, in an open carriage, made their way to Victoria to go on their honeymoon. Mm. And um, what the brothers brothers of uh, Prince Charles had done. They had attached balloons, and Andrew, Andrew and Edward, and, uh, and, Edward mm-hmm. and probably Princess Anne was on, uh, in, in the joke. Um, they had attached balloons, just married to the carriage. And as they left Buckingham Palace, I didn't have a prime position, but on the side, as they go around QVM, I sort of picked up my long lens that I just bought, at great expense, two days before, and managed to get myself a little position focused on Dinah, who at the time turned and exchanged a few, very, a, a few words with horse guards who was riding alongside a carriage. And I had a beautiful landscape photo that I'll probably share at some point to the people wh- you know listening to this podcast.
3: Do you know what? Uh, anyone listening to the ACAST app can actually now see the image if you have a look right now.
2: So I managed to get this beautiful photo that made a beautiful Double spread in pari match at a time in color, oh. which was quite rare because magazines were still using a lot of black and white photos. So in the end, I saved the day. I had a beautiful photo published, and this photo that I still cherish to this day. And the, and, uh,
3: and publications would always look for something slightly different. Because yeah. again, from the from the QVM, which is obviously the the um, statue right in front of the roundabout right in front of uh, Buckingham Palace, that's what everyone I suppose had. So you gave them something that's slightly different, I suppose.
2: Well, they, but, but the 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 you, the fact that you use a long lens gets you inside mm-hmm. the action and sometimes you're not really welcome there but it gives you something that the Joe public would not or the public would not see
3: and, and it, it, it reminds me of um, um, Prince William did something similar with with Kate on their wedding day when they also came and their open was her fa- his father's car that they drove from from Buckingham Palace to Clarence House the day.
2: Aston Martin the blue Aston Martin yeah. that his father uh, used uh, mainly to go to Polo
3: and again oh. it was it was just it was a lot more lighthearted and it just showed them in a very different light when it's not so formal and they'd had a party and it was just the end of the days. So. Well I think this
2: is what you want is to, and you rely on good uh, f- media coverage of of the royal families to show the official side, but also this sort of not so official, but so the authentic side that they are basically human beings, and they have, uh, you know, they have these little you know moments between them. Mm-hmm. And even if they're in the limelight, in the eye on the in the eyesight of billions of people, they still have shared these little moments. And yeah, the wonder of Prince William with the the. the the Duchess of Cambridge inside it, Aston Martin, looking at each other, it was a lovely picture.
3: And nothing beats um, nothing beats a long lens. Not even a, a little iPhone. You know, the audience can rarely, snack, can can rarely capture these these specific moments. Yeah,
2: but most of the you know royal royal photographic coverage is all about access mm-hmm. and anticipation because they don't do anything for you. They just allow you to be there, and um, then it's up to you to sort of anticipate. Um, their movements, and be ready with a long lens or a short lens or medium-long lens uh, to catch that sort of authentic emotion. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.
0: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.
3: So then you started to get it. Well, eventually you started to get Well, no, eventually,
2: because, see, you still, you know, you're fast, you know. <laughs> You've got to slow <laughs> yeah, down just, a bit, you know. Okay. And, uh, no, I did stay, uh, I mean, nine years in London uh, between nineteen eighty two and 1991. And in 1991, I decided that... Uh, you know, to move on and uh, move to Russia where, you know, it used to be, uh, uh, they used to have a Tsar until 1917. Mm-hmm. But um, in, in Russia, even then, I, I did keep on covering the royals whenever they were coming on official visits. And I remember the Princess of Wales at the time, she had obviously married uh, Prince Charles, uh, came to Moscow and uh, paid them a visit and the queen as well i remember the queen inside the bolshoi theater but yes um mm-hmm. after then moscow since you're probably going to again ask me <laughs> about my moving on years to? <laughs> inside Get images i moved back i moved away from uh i left moscow moved to america uh live uh, worked in dc where i did photograph another kind of royalty, which was a White House, <laughs> a mm-hmm. Republican royalty.
3: Who, who was the president at that time?
2: It was uh, Bill Clinton, the mm. naughty Bill.
3: And uh, his wife.
2: And his uh, poor wife, Hillary, mm-hmm. who uh, you know was poor at the time and, and, and lost the election again. So, I mean, she... No, but uh, he was Bill and, and Hillary and, mm-hmm. and, and then a young intern called Monica. Mm-hmm. But we won't mention her name mm-hmm. here. Yes, so after the White House, um, we uh, started a during my years in inside, uh, not the White House, but covering the White House, um, we started a small company that we um, passed on. To get Images, and I started to work there, uh, to work for Getty Images in 1999 as a managing editor. So, I mean, where where is my royal uh, focus there, uh, working behind a desk uh, at Getty Images? Well, early on, I realized that Getty Images, you know, was not taking royal coverage seriously. Uh, so it took uh, a few months, years to convince the management. Um, who was very American, that uh, the royal families were a serious business and deserved uh, our attention. And, um, you know, after having moved from New York to London, uh, managed to convince uh, the, the management that uh, we had to be part of the ROTA. But that's another story. But yes, uh, my focus kept on. And once in a while, also managed to sneak out of the office with a camera and documented royal weddings royal birth and things like that
3: mm-hmm. and actually what I want to get to is this is where you met me <laughs> this is why I wanted to fast forward <laughs> no but I going back to I, I remember quite clearly myself when I when I started um, the whole thing having been I'm, I'm sort of Swedish and having been brought up in, in the media climate where um, the the views and the way they reported was very, very different from Britain. You They sort of respected the royals in a whole different way. It wasn't about mocking and ridicul- ridiculing them. And um, I found the same thing here in Britain, um, that there was so much to, to take from. There was so, it was like an unpolished diamond in many ways and, uh, and also wanted to push for more um, royal coverage. Um,
2: but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good point because... Uh, <clears throat> I think that uh, there, there, there was um, a big break between the coverage before the Princess of Wales uh, arrived on the scene and the, coverage, the media coverage after.
3: But, it, but it's also interesting with, <coughs> with, I guess, at that time, it wasn't as steered up and it wasn't as strict as it is today. And it probably has to be today um, because of, of um, security reasons and so. But um, I remember you mentioned a while back about your coverage in, uh, how do you pronounce it, Schreppel? Sh- Schiphol, the airport.
2: Yeah. So
3: give me the rundown there, something that would never happen today.
2: Well, you're referring to something that I've told you about my first, uh, and mentioned early on in the podcast, uh, the first uh, royal visit that I covered, and it was the King and Queen of Spain. Mm -hmm. And the last day of the visit, um, we had to photograph uh, the the um, departure and so basically we followed from one engagement the royal cortege all the way back to the airport we obviously d- and, and followed the cortege onto the tarmac parked the car next to the royal flight got out of the car and start photographing them i think the same thing would happen now you probably wouldn't go near well definitely not near the royal flight or if you managed to get near you probably would be dead
3: because you would (laughs) have been shot to pieces (laughs)
2: but yeah this has changed and 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 even early on in the um uh, in the early 80s there were a lot of things you could do um uh, photographing or covering the royal family that you can't anymore Mm -hmm. very true i'm sure you've achieved a lot maybe you could share with our listeners uh, what was your first your first contact or experience uh, with, the ro- with, with a royal or royal families or...
3: Going back to my um, childhood back in Sweden, So my, my father was a phot- um, press photographer and at home we had every weekly and monthly magazine that you could ever wish for and, and amongst them um, quite a wide selection of, of royal publications. And um, I always used to flick through them, and and just like today, um, just like today's Netflix series, you just get hooked, uh, and and the storyline is just incredible. When you include every single royal family, there's always something happening, and um, and I guess it's like a never-ending uh, series as well. Um, and certainly nothing like anything written in hollywood it's it's far better than that. so I always used to from a young very young age, used to follow um, every single old family around the world and, and got to know how they all related and how you know who's pregnant and who's engaged and uh, and all these things. Um, I then followed in my father's footsteps in some ways. I studied media and ended up in the world of photography here in London, um, where I worked as a global assignment editor for a few um, photo agencies, such as AP and Getty. And obviously this is where I <laughs> where our, our paths crossed. Um, and I oversaw the entertainment coverage in different territories and worked with with. Uh, all the royal events and had uh, weekly contact with um the royal households in britain sweden norway denmark and and netherlands i think Um, and it meant that i i had to make sure that we got coverage from every single state visit and birth and christening and and wedding and funeral and opening of a royal envelope Um, uh, so whatever happened, I had to make sure we had a we had a photographer there, and my favourite was always when when um, royals visited some remote places and had to, uh, I had to call in the sports or so the war photographers. Uh, um, the brief could could read like this: um, Look out for an eighty-year-old grey-haired lady, i.e. the Queen. Uh, make sure you get her complete outfits. We don't just want her. Uh, you know, expressions and close-ups. We want we want to see what she wore. And that's not what they were used to photographing. Um, and also when, when the young princesses were, were um, going somewhere, make sure you get a side-on shot just in case she's pregnant. And it was always slightly below them. Um, but they often got a much wider usage spread than, than, than what they were used to. So it clearly showed that there was a great interest in the royals. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you had a similar experience when it came to Wimbledon and the Olympics, didn't you? That you asked the sports photographers to turn their long lenses from the royal seats and, or to the royal seats, and and the same thing happened there. They turn out to be the most published shots.
2: Well, yes, it's it's um, it's true that it's always a bit of a challenge when you try to organize some coverage of something that you care. About uh, using someone who doesn't, who either doesn't care much about it or doesn't really know his subject well. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, you photograph the Queen not only meeting people, but any anyway, anything she does wears uh, is important. You know, the the handbag that she would put behind the seat, uh, the the coats, the hats, and things like that. So yes, it it is always a bit of a challenge. And um, you know, both of us we've had these challenges uh, trying to organize the best we could. Uh, the coverage of the things that we really cared about and it's true that if the Danish royal family goes around Jutland or, or the northern the, the Denmark on a cruise and you're trying to get a photographer who's mainly uh, covering politics to have to photograph well them coming off the boat waving from the boat it it might not uh, uh, you know always be something that he 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 finds really interesting Mm -hmm. but it still has to be done and like you said you know a sports photographer was used to you know the 100 meters uh, you know uh, sprint or or some swimming you know to start you know taking his lens away from the action and to photograph the reaction of Prince William in in the, in the crowd or or the Queen Maxima um, of <laughs> Holland it, it might not be his uh, his main focus mm-hmm.
3: and, and but there's nothing like covering a a, a um a royal wedding and there is something uh, truly special being there on the day and especially when it's when it's an heir to the throne a future heir to the throne and when they pull all the stops and you really feel the energy in the people around um, the people around you and it's, it's just magical and and just like you I, I worked on the coverage of the uh, Princess Catherine and Prince William's wedding um, and I was stood at the, the Royal Horse Guards parade in front of in front of a crowd and it was people from all over the world and it was Truly special and and w- w- one of the snapshots from that particular day that really sort of stuck in my mind is is Kate driving past with her father Michael towards um, Kate Middleton as she was called at that time um, driving towards Westminster Abbey and just her life would be changing within the next you know half an hour that was incredible seeing that uh, and as I said you really felt it um, in the in the air. Uh, and you somehow have to, have to pinch yourself.
2: And Linnea, no, I mean, you're quite obsessed with the Scandinavian royal families, in particular, the Swedish. You know, just tell us uh, what you like about them and actually what what makes them so special and different. But, you know, they're, they're probably the way they are, the way they act, the way they behave. Um.
3: Well, I, I do like to fly the flag for the Scandis, just like you said. And, and having worked closely with them, it's very different... Um, It's a very different um, feel. Um, You get a lot closer, uh, quite a lot more down to earth, um, and maybe because they're not as known around the world as as the Brits, which is without a doubt the most famous royal family in the world. But there's a close-knit... Um, community that between them, and you can really sense that that they all, the Norwegians and the Danes and the Swedes, are all very, very close. Um, and one of my favourite Scandi uh, highlights would have been in 2010, so the year before William and Kate's wedding. Um, I managed the, the Getty team on site in Stockholm when when um, Crown Princess Victoria and Prince Daniel got married. Um, and it was the same thing there; it was just a really special feel, and to to be in the office i think it was the foreign ministry office that was um, converted into our office for the day and uh, to a temporary office and um, when you when you get a first glimpse of the dress and you uh, see the pictures streaming back and and just being part of it from from planning to to seeing the final results and then obviously the day after seeing seeing all the or the same day when you when you see the pictures getting published everywhere it's a it's a very very special feeling and And one of the memories from that day is also when um, I think it was towards the end of the day and I was close to leaving the office and our uh, French photographer, he was with us in Stockholm, um, Pascal Le um I was picking up his um, SD card and, and got trapped in the audience right in front of the, the castle. And it was when um, Princess Victoria was um, holding a speech to, the, to, to her people. Uh, and I was stood just a few hundred yards away and couldn't move, so I had to stare and just listen to it. And, and it, it was very special being part of, of the historic day and... And just taking it all in. So that's, that's the highlight of working, with, with, um, working in the media industry with the Royals, for sure.
2: So, I mean, we will, you know, we, we, we will try to have this bi-weekly to start with. Um, and um, we intend to have a media review of the various, uh, you know, the activities of uh, the various royal families around the world. We won't talk only about the Brits, but we will talk about the Scandies, the Belgians, the Spaniards. Uh, we will also uh, talk about uh, the uh, Grimaldis, the reigning uh, family of the principality of Monaco. Uh, we could go east as well. I uh,
3: want to learn more about the, the, the royal family in Japan, I think they've got some really really interesting things going on over there so...
2: Indeed, Definitely. and then you have, um, you know, the the Thai. I mean, you have a lot of them, reigning, in exile. Um, Middle Eastern, no, not to
3: be... Uh, not to mid, the
2: Queen Rania of Jordan, who is very active socially on Twitter and, and Instagram.
3: So you will hear from us again in two weeks' time. And Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe.
2: I think the success of this podcast will be if it becomes really interactive and if you take part. Uh, you could have stories that you can share with us. Maybe you've attended some um, royal events events. Uh, maybe you have a student in line um, waiting to hand over a bouquet. Maybe you got something back from the palace because they usually do. Um, so I, I think the more you uh, interact with us and the more questions you, you ask um, and, you know, the better it will be for everyone because, you know, it's, it's your podcast as, as, as much as it is ours
3: good ending George. Looking forward to speaking to you all in uh, two weeks time.
0: O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free.